0: You're listening to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Presenting the best Grand Rounds from across the country, I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. In this episode, we're continuing a recent session from the CDC in Atlanta, Georgia, titled Reducing Severe Traumatic Brain Injury in the U.S. Good afternoon. My name is David Wright. Uh, I am uh, the Director of Emergency Neurosciences at Emory University in the Department of Emergency Medicine. Uh, And I'm also a practicing physician at uh, Grady Memorial Hospital, arguably one of the busiest trauma centers in the nation. So today, we're going to talk about uh, or discuss, rather, the importance of the Brain Trauma Foundation Guidelines uh, and also kind of review the existing research gaps uh, for hopes of opportunities and change and improvement and introduce uh, what I'm excited about, a a novel and potential treatment uh, for traumatic brain injury. But first, I want to cover a little bit about what goes on after a brain injury occurs. The initial trauma is really only the first phase of injury. It's the secondary phase that's characterized by the activation of a whole host of neurotoxic events and activation of pathways that cause probably most of the morbidity and mortality after survivable injury. This secondary injury begins immediately at the time of the accident. And then continues to occur for months, even up to a year after the injury. Now, the earliest mechanisms discovered were the release of neurotransmitters, the influx of huge amounts of calcium into the cell and other ions, which overwhelm the cell and cause eventual necrosis and cell death. We know it to be much more complicated than that. Uh, in fact, there are multiple pathways that are activated, including the release of inflammatory cytokines, uh, brain swelling or cerebral edema, activation of the excitotoxic cascade, uh, and even cell suicide, something called apoptosis. So it's important to recognize the complexity of brain injury uh, and what's going on afterwards so that we can better inform drug discovery and also develop successful treatment strategies. However, even with a clearer understanding of the pathophysiology of TBI and over 50 to 100 different targets available for us, we have yet to find a treatment that can improve the functional outcome. So where are we currently today? There are no treatments available that target the secondary cascade and improve functional outcome. This has led experts uh, around the country to examine Why is this? What are the research gaps? What are the reasons for clinical failures? Well, the most obvious research gap is the very definition and classification of traumatic brain injury. We currently, or our current approach, is based solely on an individual's response to the environment. How awake are they? This categorization, or the Glasgow Coma Scale, divides patients into mild, moderate, and severe. This is crude, okay? Often contaminated by alcohol, other drugs, uh, such as the drugs that we give them. And it lacks, most importantly, any pathological link. Tells you nothing about what's going on in the brain at the time of the injury. This does a disservice to both the complexity of the underlying injury uh, and our ability to assess the patients. This is an example. This is six different patients, okay? Each of these patients have a Glasgow Coma Scale of six. None of them have the same type of injury. None of them will have the same uh, prognosis. So the lack of a good classification system for differentiating TBI has really impacted both our ability to assess and manage patients, but also hampers our clinical trials. We need a better classification system. Another mechanistic, or another gap rather, is our mechanistic approach to traumatic brain injury, that magic bullet. Single ion channel blockers, such as calcium channel blockers, and other things have been tried, and they actually work in animals, but when we take them to the human multicenter clinical trial, they don't work anymore. So these single, single, single pathway approaches are not likely to be robust enough to work in the human model. What we really need is a uh, multidimensional approach, either drugs that are pleiotropic or multiple drugs at one time. Fortunately, the NIH is now exploring multiple drug therapies uh, in their grant program. However, to me, the elephant in the room is our current therapy and the variability that's caused by it. The differences in mortality in Traumatic brain injury patients across this country is huge, somewhere around 20% to 65% mortality, depending on what hospital you go to. It really does matter where you go for care in the United States. This background variability is unacceptable, okay? It is likely responsible for drowning out multiple, uh, or, or rather, drowning out any treatment effect of our previously promising therapies. Uh, in clinical trials. Indeed, the better improvement in outcome, that that 20% is linked actually to following uh, a set of simple brain trauma foundation guidelines. Now, there's clear evidence that these guidelines actually improve care and save lives. Yet the adoption rate of these is unbelievably only about 65% in the US. So subsequently, there's still a lot of variability in the mortality and morbidity of traumatic brain injury patients. It's estimated that if we adopted these widely or universally that we would save somewhere around $262 million in medical care costs, $43 million in rehabilitation costs, and almost $4 billion in lifetime societal costs every year. So after decades of failure in the search for an effective drug treatment, there is hope in 1991 Dr. Donald Stein, one of the world's top neuroscientists, and a colleague of mine here at Emory, suspected that progesterone might have potent neuroprotective properties. At the time, this research actually was thought as to be crazy. Everybody thought Don was crazy. After all, everybody knows that progesterone is just a female hormone, right? How could it really help victims of traumatic brain injury? Fortunately, the CDC actually played a pivotal role in this early research. Don put it this way, and I quote, The CDC was the first federal agency willing to take a gamble on what many at the time thought was pie in the sky. Their initial two-year grant to my team kick-started it all. With a boost from the CDC, Don's team initiated a whole series of elegant experiments that provided the data necessary for the NIH uh, and to get the NIH's attention. This story actually demonstrates an important link between clinical medicine and public health. Both disciplines want to reduce disease and injury burden. Clinical medicine considers the individual where public health obviously has a broader view. In this case, the CDC realized that this unorthodox idea had the potential to save hundreds of thousands of lives in the U.S. and across the world. What Don discovered was that his female rats were performing better after a head injury. Indeed, when the rats were exceedingly high in progesterone levels, such as in uh, pregnancy, they had much better outcomes than their male counterparts and their non-pregnant counterparts. And even more importantly, by giving progesterone to these animals after the injury, it improved outcome in both male and female animals. More recently, the mechanisms for how progesterone works uh, have been further delineated. As it turns out, progesterone is pleiotropic, like the drug cocktail that I was speaking about before, working at many different sites to halt the neurotoxic cascade thereby providing some robust neuroprotection. So today, there's over 180 supportive publications from multiple laboratories that confirm Don's findings. It seems Don wasn't so crazy after all. But the real question is, will it work in humans? So on the strength of Don's lab science and others, Art Kellerman and I secured an NIH grant to run a small pilot study of 100 brain injured patients. This work was done right here at Grady Memorial Hospital, our level one trauma center. We were actually stunned at the results. Our studies showed that progesterone was not only safe, it reduced mortality by almost 50%. It's important to note that this is a small study, okay? The findings have to be interpreted with caution. However, that said, a year later, Zhao et al. demonstrated very similar findings in 159 patients and also showed an improvement in three and six month outcomes. Combined, these findings were compelling and the NIH is now sponsoring a huge phase three clinical trial called PROTECT3. My colleagues and I hope to enroll 1140 subjects in 31 different trauma centers across the country in what's known as the Neurologic Emergency Treatment Trials Network. This trial should provide the evidence we need to determine whether progesterone really is that long sought after uh, drug for traumatic brain injury. So what is the path forward? We need to really urge clinicians across this country to comply with the Brain Trauma Foundation guidelines for care. This is critical for not only patients' lives, but also for improving uh, clinical trials and trying to have, and having the hope that we can actually show a difference with a drug at the clinical trial stage. Second, we need to develop a better classification system for traumatic brain injury the one we currently have, clearly doesn't work. Whether that be biomarkers or other strategies, we need one. Third, we need to keep trying. Yes, there have been a lot of failures, and there are other therapies that are being considered at NIH and other programs. Drugs that are pleiotropic or combination therapies are more likely to be successful. And then lastly, we need to strengthen our partnerships between clinical medicine and public health to improve prevention, public awareness, and outcomes. It's very important, this link between clinical medicine and public health. It provides not only a surveillance system to know whether our interventions are working, but also allows us to disseminate and ensure that the Brain Trauma Foundation guidelines are widely accepted and used across the country. I'd like to thank you. And now our next speaker is Arthur Kellerman. We'll return for more from this session of Grand Rounds Nation after a short break.